This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go behind the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. For the next two weeks, the press and public will be obsessed with all news concerning the 15th general elections that will take place on the 19th of November. Nomination Day was held this past Saturday and campaigning has begun in earnest. How do these elections differ from previous iterations? Today, we're speaking to longtime political observer and columnist Mohsin Abdullah for his insights on what could unfold this election season. Mohsin, good morning. Thanks for joining me today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, let's start off with your observations of Saturday's nomination day, which took place with a lot of fanfare, as is typical. What were the highlights of the day from your perspective? Were there any surprises this year compared to previous elections? Well, first of all, I would like to say something about about the Tenom incident, you know, where the police had to fire tear gas. That is very unfortunate. And we have never seen that before on nomination day, you know. So that is a bit sad. That apart, I would say the similarities between uh, GE14 and Saturday's nomination. Back in 2018, there were multi-colored fights as well, independent candidates making the entry and all that. This time, we have more independent candidates and people who who sort of cross over to the other side, who are now wearing their jerseys of the enemy, so to speak. And they then do it openly on the eve of the nomination, you know, openly saying I'm crossing over and the other side welcome them warmly for obvious reasons. So that is the only different thing now, what we are seeing. But personally, on a personal thing, I've never liked, sorry, maybe this is off a bit from your question, but I've never liked candidates coming into nomination center accompanied by big, groups of supporters with flags and everything because the other group would be the same and when they when they face off that that would be the abuse and and all kind of chanting worse come to worse the chanting and a lot of nasty things are said you know so my i prefer i prefer you know candidates just come with the seconders quietly put a nomination paper and at the end of the process everybody who are who are qualified to contest take your photographs and go off and go and campaign or what. But then that's just me. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> listens to that, this kind of thing. <laughs> and some people like the spectacle. Some people like to exactly. see the, envi- yeah, the, fe- exactly. the supposedly festive environment. But you're right. In a time when political polarization is so rife, it's very easy for uh, situations of high emotions um, to turn unpleasant, like, like, we, like we saw in Thanom, as you mentioned. Yeah, like, like you said, some people say, this, this is what, is it all about, you know? So, okay. In, in Malay, we'll say, everybody will say, Maria, Maria, and Maria. <laughs> all right. As you mentioned, um, multi-cornered fights are pretty much the name of the game, this GE15. I believe in Peninsula Malaysia, every single seat will see uh, multi-cornered fights beyond three candidates. We're looking at three or four candidates at minimum. And this just shows how fractured the political landscape has become since GE14. Do you see this as a positive development or will this just make it more difficult for a stable government to be formed? On one hand, yeah, it is good for democracy, you know, meaning that everybody can offer themselves to be candidates, to offer themselves to do good things for the country. Uh, But on the other hand, it can be seen also as a circus that is the fear. That is the concern to me. Eh? When people see this, it's just a big joke. Then I don't have to 
take part in this, this so-called uh, democratic process. As for democracy, yes, you're, you're free to contest. But it goes beyond that. It's not enough just to be able to contest if it's democratic enough. And then it comes along together with the right to campaign on equal platform and media access and that sort of thing. Uh, looking at the different coalitions, Mosin, can I ask what you think are the main selling points? I mean, I think this is the first time that we're seeing multiple big coalitions um, go up against each other instead of the usual two big coalitions. Um, we know that Barca National, I think their main claim is touting a return to stability. What do you see Perikata National and Pakatan Harapan? Um, what's the theme that they're trying to woo voters with? They're saying the same things as well, I would say. But the, but the thing is this, it just shows that at the end of the election, there won't be a clear-cut winner. There'll be more negotiation and, you know, there's there, the people are talking about unity government, which in all probability, I think it will be a real thing. So that's why we have all these big, big coalition who are not sure of themselves also going into, into GE15. It's very odd and... At times it's ridiculous, you know. How can you have a, I'm I'm your friend, but then at the same time I'm not your, I'm not your friend's friend or something <laughs> like that. You know, it just proves this this old saying that uh, in politics there's no and there's no uh, permanent friends or enemies. We're leaving it up as far as that goes. Mm. If we look at Amno in particular. UMNO is widely seen as the key instigator of these elections, which could have been held next year. Uh, but they fe- they presumably felt that they had better chances this year. Do you think their gamble was a wise one? How are their chances looking like as uh, campaigning begins? Well, I would say, first of all, these are early days, right? It's too early to make a call or what. But when UMNO, when they were pushing for the snap election, uh, um, they were confident, and it's a fact that they were riding high at that time. At that time, but of late, of late, especially as nomination day approaches, you can you can see, you can feel that zest, that confidence is a bit has faded a little bit, a little bit. And according to polls, as I read, what is being revealed by polls, they are behind. Uh, on that score, Pakatan uh, Harapan is based on polls; they are ahead, but. Having said all that, it's still, like I said earlier, early days and people can change their mind and, you know, on the eve of, of election, people can still change their mind and all that. From UMNO then going over to Pakatan Harapan, um, we saw that the state elections that were held over the past three years, Sabah, Melaka, Sarawak, Johor, the, it showcased the internal fighting within the PH coalition and this cost them votes during these elections. They did quite poorly. Do you think they've done enough to persuade voters that they are a united front at this point, or, or is it, or are they still carrying a lot of baggage in terms of um, inter-coalition or even inter-party fighting? I don't know whether baggage they're carrying baggage, but as it is, there are new issues to be debated, you know, among themselves, among candidates and all that. So, but overall, I would say they will be able to come up with a united front image rightly or wrongly or falsely or whatever. Maybe maybe in certain areas where where the incumbents were not selected this time, that could be some problems within certain areas. But overall, I would say 
it won't be that much of a problem for them. I mean, they can they can work their things out. Yeah, not only PH but BN as well. Yeah. All right. So the internal infighting, um, while that go- while that may go on, it wouldn't hinder them too much. You think in terms of getting voters out? Yes, that's right. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what to make of Berikatan National. They didn't do very well in, this, in the state elections either, but many see that the past machinery gives them a significant advantage. Do you see Definitely. Do you see PN emerging as the option for fence-sitters, especially for the Malay Muslim segment who don't fancy BN or PH? Could they act, are they the dark horse in this race? Yeah, PN is obviously they are targeting the Malay votes, right? But then the Malay votes this time would be split many, many ways. So that could be a thing. But the past uh, machinery will be a big help to PN. But the overall image would be very Malay, very Islam, so appeal to rural especially, but not, not necessarily only rural, but there are urban urban areas, major, Malay majority urban areas who, who like this kind of rhetoric, I would say, you know, or especially among born-again Muslims, suddenly I've seen the light. So this kind of people would go for what PN is is carrying. I'm speaking to political columnist Mohsin Abdullah on observations at the start of GE15. We'll have more after the break. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You're listening to Pressing Matters on The Morning Run. I'm Shazana, and on the show with me today is Mohsin Abdullah, longtime political observer and columnist. We're discussing some of his observations ahead of the two-week campaigning period for GE15. I'm wondering, Mohsin, do you, what's the profile of the Malay Muslim voter? Given that there are so many different Malay Muslim coalitions to choose from, yeah? I guess, how would you split that demographic up in terms of, is it based on urban-rural? Is it based on, on income? Is it based on, I guess, how religious one is? You know, how, how do you think we can make sense of who the Malay Muslim voter is? It's, it's, it's hard to put a finger on one particular aspect, but, but the main thing would be religion. It can be a big, a big bogey, if you, you know, which, which I've been used many, many times because of the fear of uh, religion being sidelined or disappeared from this country and we can say whatever we want about that but that is the, the, the belief it's hard to say about urban or rural or what because let's say Lembah Pantai cut across Jalan Bangsa is the main is the border on the left is this Kampung Kerinci and all that they have their own set of uh, of things they, they, what they want their needs and all that and their set of thinking on the other side is a is the bangsa proper, you know, upmarket people and all that. So, both are urban, but with different needs and different, you know, ideology and, and stuff like that. And both sides, they have big numbers of Malays as well, especially on the other side of this, this Kerinci and, and such areas. So, on that thing, I would say, Ami Fadil or PKR has always faced this dilemma of balancing between both sets of people, hmm. both urban, hmm. both urban, yeah. So speaking about that then, given that um, religion can be a powerful motivating factor for voters and, and something that political parties use to their advantage, what, what I guess, what does Pakatan Harapan offer then to the Malay Muslim voter that could attract them? 
as if you're talking about religion, the the role that role has was given to on or still being given to Amana, so that they they come up with this this moderate and not hardline Islam and all that. But so far, we have not been doing well. Yeah, that's why pass are still up there. They have not made much inroad in 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 the Malay heartland. And earlier you spoke about um, independent MPs or incumbent MPs who are now running under a different ticket. Yeah, what do you make of their prospects? We see a number of candidates who were dropped by their parties, and they're either running as independent, um, like Zahidi Zainul in Padang Besar, or they're running under a completely different party, like um, Shahidan Kasim. He's comp- from BN, he's swapped over to PN. Some, like Zuraida Kamarudin in Ampang, have um, been building support for a new platform, PBM. Uh, do you think that um, voters' loyalties are with the candidate or with the party? Can these incumbents still win, even under even wearing different stripes? Chances are they will. They, they, can, they will win. Why do you say that? Because they've been there for years, and surely they have looked after their uh, constituency well. So based on that, they still appeal to the voters. However, if the opponents can come out with really solid things, that could be a problem. But as it is, to answer your question, that one, they they should be able. I mean, the big names, at least the big names, should be able to to pull through, at least one more time. And many analysts believe that no coalition, as you, and you yourself said this earlier as well, no coalition is going to gain enough seats to comfortably form a government. Now, it's typical in Malaysian politics for parties to woo individual MPs to jump ship. And this is what we saw in GE14. Um, but this won't come without consequence today because now we have the anti-party hopping law. So how do you think this law will influence negotiations in forming the next government? Since we can't see individual MPs jumping sides, will coalitions be forced to negotiate on block? Yes, they, they have to. They have to. They will go. That is allowed, I think. Right? There's, it's still allowed. You can cross over. Everybody cross over. Yeah, and block. That's the correct term. That would be the case, I would say. And some people say it's not that bad a thing. I don't know. But, you know, elsewhere, I mean, other parts of the world, they have this kind of coalition and and unity unity whatever whatever name you want to you call it like you know at least it's done in the open and there's the, unlike the, the the one that we had in back in 2020 when so so a lot of controversy and all that this one is deal out in the open and stuff like that of course of course there would there'll be there'll be big backs and you know because of of things they say before election, you're saying this group of people are no good, blah, 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 blah. And suddenly, they can, you can bring them in to be part of the government. And whatever, what, so whatever whatever happened to all those nasty things that they are supposed to be doing. But they can handle that. Politicians being politicians, they can deal with that. To me, the real battle would be after November 19. That would be the real thing. And Mohsen, before I let you go, one final question. I'd like to get your thoughts on um, the number of new faces in the contest. Yeah, I think we've seen so many, a lot of the coalitions have said that they're putting up new new faces. And indeed, we see um, a lot of uh, fresh uh, candidates in these elections. But do you think any of them 
particularly stand out at this stage? Do you, do you see any sparks in the field that you think um, we, that could you know prove that they have longevity in the political landscape? Many, many. But then, but but there's this thing about new candidates. New does not really mean young. You have seen people on the elder side of they're not so young, but or I can say old, but they are they are they are contesting for the first time. That would make that would make them new. So whether you are looking at young people or new people, that that's the thing. But with with this muda coming into the picture, that would help, especially among the the young. Or first-time voters who are, who people say are not interested in politics, which is true, they they vote uh, according to to what their parents vote for, or they just 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 don't know what is happening, or just just skip the whole thing. But with Muda in, I think a little bit that would help to get them into the process. Yeah. So that does not really answer the, your question. <laughs> but then that's how I feel. <laughs> Indeed. I think there's going to be a lot to watch out for in terms of all these new or new and young candidates. But Mohsen, as always, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. I've been speaking to Mohsen Abdullah, political columnist. This has been Pressing Matters on The Morning Run. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. News Bulletin and then it's over to Enterprise. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.